السلام علیکم ورحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ ان دی نیم آف اللہ دا موسٹ گریشیس دی ایور مرسیفل ڈیئر لسنرز دس از مائی سیلف دانیال احمد اینڈ وت می نفیس کمر ہیز جوائنڈ دی اسٹوڈیو اینڈ می پیس اینڈ بلیسنگز آف اللہ بی اپون یو آل ویلکم ٹو دی شو بریکفسٹ شو آن وائس آف اسلام ریڈیو Uh, dear listeners, you can uh, join uh, the, this episode by uh, contacting us uh, at our number, which is 020-8687-7878. Or either you can, um, uh, you know, pass your remarks or if you have any questions, you can do so by also by tweeting us at voice of islam uk or you can go to our website which is www.voiceofislam.co.uk uh, dear listeners uh, in this show um, as it is our custom that on tuesday we usually have three uh, segments three different segments uh, and god willingly uh, we will uh, delve into we will explore uh, these three segments um, uh, throughout uh, till uh, 9 o'clock and the three topics are that uh, can eliminating extra chromosome in cancer cells prevent tumor growth and the second topic will be can bladder disease be treated by medical micro robots and the third and uh, last topic will be what is the significance of the jalsa slana jalsa slana which is a annual gathering of uh, muslims so but before delving into these uh, topics uh, first of all i would like to uh, ask uh, jali uh, nafis uh, how are you doing today i am very well alhamdulillah how are you uh, i'm doing good um how's the weather today if you can you know uh, yes absolutely looking at the weather today um heavy showers in scotland and eastern england today variable cloud and sunny spells uh, elsewhere Uh, so today, southern Scotland and eastern areas of England will be mostly cloudy with sharp, possibly thundery showers. Elsewhere, there will be patchy cloud, sunny spells and isolated light showers. Tonight, overnight, um, Northern Ireland and parts of northwestern England will be cloudy with some showers. Lighter showers in northern uh, isles of far southwest and t- at times uh, a clear night. elsewhere so it is very very um advisable for um uh, the public to prepare for rain and get your rain jackets and umbrellas uh, with you where wherever you go whether you go to work to school especially we are, we are living in the uk so you never know what's going to happen next uh, next minute absolutely you you really don't know in fact that reminds me a few days ago i went to the jilsa site the mm. jilsa slana site which is the largest muslim gathering and uh, it had been raining heavily the day before hmm. on the day however it was pretty sunny so i thought that um, i should leave my wellies in the car hmm. however soon after entering the site you know you realize that um, it doesn't matter how sunny it is still very muddy and the weather is not you know reliable any moment yeah it can it can uh, rain and stuff so that's also a reminder for our jalsa guests in fact yeah. to um, come prepared for the worst 
Uh, yeah, true, true, true. And uh, so the Jalsa, uh, the annual gathering is uh, just a few days apart, and uh, which will be on 28th, um, uh, July 28th, 29th and 30th of July. So it's just a few days away and uh, we are hoping uh, for the best uh, in terms of weather because the weather isn't looking very good. Um, it seems like gonna uh, like rain in the few coming days. So let's hope and pray that uh, the weather uh, uh, remains uh, good. Absolutely. And I think it's also important to explain why mm-hmm. this is very important because a lot of our listeners, they probably they wouldn't know that um, our annual gathering takes place on a farm. So it's a full-time farm. Yeah. It's, it's, n- it's not a, they don't have hard floor or concrete or um, uh, it's not, it's not nothing like a city or a town. It's actually a farm. Uh, marquees are erected. Mm. It's turned into a town or city, if you want to call it. But nevertheless, it's uh, grass and mud and uh, mm. other things else uh, everywhere. So that's the reason uh, we should, uh, we need to pray more that, um, you know, may Allah Ta'ala turn these showers into uh, sun, uh, sunshine. Yeah, yeah, true. And uh, after that, uh, as it is our custom, now uh, we usually delve into the news headlines of the week. And um, uh, after that, uh, the segments, the three segments, after the first uh, half an hour break our uh, first half an hour we will delve into our main segments and uh, god willingly um, with us we will have uh, our experts as well uh, who will you know um, give their expertise and uh, insight as well and um, uh, before but before that uh, we will delve into news headlines of the week so the daily telegraph um, front page has a tribute to BBC News presenter George uh, Alagaya from his friend and former colleague Fiona Bruce after his death was announced on Monday. The front page also features a picture of a fireman rescuing rabbits from the wildfires in the Greek islands of uh, Rhodes. Um, Airlines have been accused of uh, failing in their duty of care by flying tourists into the Greek wildfires without a refund or rebook offer. The front page of the I says, Holidaymakers have also told the paper that there is evacuation chaos as people struggle to flee. There is also a tribute to George Alagia, calling him brave, kind and honourable. Mm-hmm. The Times says 30,000 Britons face having their summer holidays cancelled after it emerged that hotels in Rhodes could remain closed for weeks due to wildfires. The front page adds that more than 5,000 British holidaymakers are stranded on the island with many staying in shelters as they wait for a flight back home. A huge uh, tourist rescue mission is underway to bring home Brighton's caught up in the Greek wildfires the Daily Express leads on. The front page also features tribute to George Alagia and Trevor Francis, who became Britain's first £1 million football player. Uh-huh. The Sun front page leads on Trevor Francis after it was announced he had died from a heart attack at the age of 69. And Piers Morgan isn't impressed by the Barbie film as his, as his latest column calls it, um, preachy, irritating and sexist. 
A British father is dubbed a knight of the roads by the metro after he used his holiday rental car to make several trips in the danger zone to rescue families from Greek wildfires. Mm-hmm. And the Guardian highlights how to uh, how the climate crisis is to blame for the deadly heat, heat waves that have struck Europe and the US in recent weeks. The paper adds that a report by climate scientists says that both heat waves would have been virtually impossible without global heating driven by burning fossil fuels. Lawyers are charging thousands of pounds to submit false asylum and human rights claims for illegal immigrants according to a special investigation by the Daily Mail. Mm-hmm. The Financial Times leads on credit uh, Swiss being hit with $388 uh, uh, fines for significant failures related to the collapse of uh, Archegos Capital, which has caused a $5.5 billion uh, trading loss and helped bring about the demise of the Swiss lender. Elsewhere on the front page, Adidas is enjoying uh, successful sales of Yeezy shoes after <coughs> cutting ties with U.S. rapper uh, Kanye West. The Daily Star takes a different approach to the other papers by featuring a front page about the world's cleverest boffins claiming a satellite image could prove an alien spaceship crashed on Mars. The Times lead on the road's wildfire. It reports that 30,000 people from the UK have been left in holiday limbo by the disaster on the Greek island. It says damage to resorts is likely to cause a spate of cancellations for those hoping to travel there in the next few weeks. The paper's leader argues that the chaos has exposed a worrying degree of uh, unprepared on the part of the authorities. That theme is picked up in the editorial column of the Daily Express. It points out that while this summer has been extreme, parts of Greece have had forest fires before. Travel firms should, uh, should it conclude, have better contingency plans. The I says... The consumer group, which has uh, described airlines as deeply irresponsible for continuing to fly customers into the emergency zone, which could uh, is quoted saying firms allowed people to travel even though they knew their hotels were closing down. The Sun has a two-page spared with pictures of the charred remains of, of poolside lounges and parcels and holidaymakers sleeping on the floor of the airport in Rhodes. The headline is, how could they fly us into this? The Daily Mail leads with a claim that some lawyers in the UK are charging up to £10,000 to submit false asylum and human rights claims for illegal immigrants. It alleges that staff at several firms were willing to help and undercover reporter posing as an economic migrant, despite being told he had no legitimate right to stay in the Britain after arrival or a small boat. The solicitor's uh, regulation authority tells the paper that all solicitors should uphold high professional standards, especially in areas such as immigration, where those involved may be among the most vulnerable in society. Many of the papers mark the death of the BBC newsreader, George Alaya. The Mirror describes him as gentle, kind and brave, saying he was the unflappable face of BBC News, loved by colleagues and viewers alike for his w- warmth and empathy. Writing in the Daily Telegraph, the presenter Fiona Bruce says Georgia Lagia set, set the golden standard for newsreaders 
highlighting in particular his in, in, integrity, humor, and kindness. The eye describes him simply as a broadcasting giant. Yeah, b- apart from that, this um, there's very uh, uh, sad and worrisome uh, news uh, from the UK. Reports of modern slavery double in UK care sector. So the number of modern slavery cases reported within the UK care industry has more than doubled in the past year. There were 109 potential victims uh, exploited for personal or financial gain between January and March, twice as many as the same period in 2022. BBC file on four obtained the figures from the government-approved anti-slavery helpline run by Charity Unseen. Investigators trying to protect workers from being exploited say the care industry is now a top priority. The Gang Masters and Labor Abuse Authority, uh, whose role is to protect workers from labor exploitation across the UK, uh, told us that uh, that the BBC says thing is that they told us that it had more than. 300 ongoing care sector investigations. Unseen says the rise in calls about the care sector in the past 12 months is because the government has made it easier for overseas social care staff to work in the UK post-Brexit and fill thousands of job vacancies. As the supply chain gets bigger, there are more chance for exploitation, says the charity. In the year to March, uh, the government had issued 102,000 skilled workers um, health and care visas to foreign uh, workers. Um, that's up 171% on the previous year. In a statement, it told file on 4 that more than £17.8 million uh, pounds uh, had been spent policing modern slavery since 2016. It's very rare to hear from a victim of modern slavery in person, but one woman who came to the UK on on a work visa and, wa- and was forced to work uh, grueling hours as a carrier um, has told us the, her story. Uh, still frightened of her former employers, uh, we are calling her Terry to protect her identity. So, so that's the news, a uh, very worrisome, uh, troubling, uh, very unsettling uh, news uh, from the UK. We have hope and pray that um, um, it, uh, we don't have to see such uh, cases more in UK or, uh, or in any other part of the world because um, uh, we need to uh, give respect uh, as a human being uh, to other human beings as well. So, uh, Nafis, uh, uh, did you have, uh, did you come across any other news uh, which uh, caught your eye uh, this morning? Yes, absolutely. Um, the BBC journalist and presenter Georgia Lagia, I think that caught my eye uh, f- first and foremost. Most of the headlines papers that we went through, because uh-huh. uh, um, I remember moving in, in to England in 2004 and more or less growing up watching this presenter uh-huh. on BBC News as you are. Um, advice to watch uh, news and channels as much as you can Mm. if you want to improve your language 
and it was a um, yeah, it was it was a shock. It actually said that he was diagnosed um, with can- bowel cancer, in fact, mm. in 2014, uh, which was revealed. Uh, and in October 2022, it was revealed that it was um, sp- uh, spread further. Uh, you know, he was simply a wonderful human being mm. uh, and an excellent presenter. Fought until the bitter end. I mean, these are all quotes from his various friends and c- colleagues. Uh, the BBC World Affairs editor, John uh, Simpson, tweeted, A gentle, kinder, more insightful and braver friend and colleague it would be hard to find. So, um, and genuinely, I through his presenting on, on, on BBC News at 6, um, you could tell through his presenting how dedicated, kind and good of a person and individual and a presenter uh, he was. Um, those of you who are probably wondering that what are the symptoms of bowel cancer, um, I think they should uh, look into that. Um, I mean, it's, it's always good to look into that because mm. cancer is one of those things that comes uninvited. Um, so the first thing is a persistent change in bowel habit going more often with loose stools and sometimes tummy pain, blood in the stools um, without other symptoms such as piles, abdominal pain, discomfort or bloating always brought by eating sometimes resulting in a reduction in the amount of food eaten and uh, weight loss. And uh, so most people with these symptoms do not have um, bowel cancer, but the NHS (coughs) advice is to see your GP if you have one or more of the symptoms and they have persisted for uh, more than f- four weeks. Um, and if you, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, so most of us are um, ignorant of this uh, and there should be, I trust there should be more uh, cancer awareness uh, um, for all of us. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, our hearts and prayers go out to his family and his loved ones. Yeah, certainly. And uh, we hope and pray that um, the the legacy which he has uh, left us with, um, we carry on uh, his legacy and uh, yeah, hopeful for the best as well. Uh, dear listeners, um, uh, it's time for the short break. And uh, after the short break, uh, we will uh, delve into our first segment and the topic of the first segment uh, is uh, can eliminating extra chromosomes in cancer cells prevent uh, tumor growth and uh, many more to come as well and um, also we have uh, discussed in this segment as well about the Jalsa Salana the annual convention of uh, MDM Muslim community which is a few days uh, away um, but um, um, uh, but uh, on a length, we will talk. Uh, we'll talk after a short break in our third segment. But before, uh, but in the first segment, we will talk about can eliminating extra chromosomes in cancer cells uh, prevent uh, tumor growth? Please do join us after the break. Uh, do tune in, and uh, we will take a short break here. وَلِلَّهِ الْأَسْمَاءُ الْحُسْنَى فَادْعُوهُ بِهَا 
المهيمن Referring to the protector, one who is a guardian, Al-Muhaymin is the one who stands as a witness for his chosen ones and the one who provides security. This benevolent attribute of God is most visible through his protection of his loved ones. The entire life of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, is a testament to the attribute of Al-Muhaymin. During the Battle of Uhud, there came a time where the enemy had surrounded the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. The Muslims, exhausted, had scattered about the field, leaving the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, alone and exposed. But it was Al-Muhaymin who stood in his defense. It was he who caused the Muslims to assemble and form a ring around the Prophet, peace be upon him. He gave them the strength to fight until they themselves were pierced by the swords of the enemy. He was the reason the Prophet of Islam, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, had been facing certain death, but to the protection granted by Al-Muhaymin, our beloved Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was able to survive. This is just one of many incidents where the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him's life was safeguarded through divine protection. One of the most devoted followers of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was the promised Messiah on whom be peace. Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmad, may God be pleased with him, wrote that God himself was the guardian of the promised Messiah. He was the reason why Talha, may God be pleased with him, could absorb arrow after arrow. The Prophet of Islam, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, had been facing certain death, but through the protection granted by Al-Muhaymin, our beloved Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was able to survive. This is just one of the many incidents where the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him's life, was safeguarded through divine protection. The promised Messiah on whom be peace was skilled in swimming and horseback riding. On one occasion, he was swimming and nearly drowned. He was saved by an older man whom he had never seen prior to this incident and never saw again. On another instance, he was riding a horse that became uncontrollable, so much so that it crashed into a tree. This proved to be fatal for the horse, but the promised Messiah on whom be peace was miraculously saved without any injury. These are not mere coincidences, nor good luck. This is the work of Al-Muhaymin. How else would the promised Messiah on whom be peace be saved by a man who vanished into thin air? Or be saved in an accident 
that killed a mighty animal. The same protection that was afforded to the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and the promised Messiah on whom be peace, is granted to all believers. Al-Muhaymin is the one who protects against the severe and subtle attacks of Satan. He guards against accidental and intentional injury. He stands witness for the truthful and provides security to those without a voice. It is the way of God to protect His believers, to become benefactors of the protection of Al-Muhaymin. It is incumbent to accept the Imam of the time you're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio, broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome back to the breakfast show on Voice of Islam Radio. Uh, before the break, we were discussing um, about the weather, uh, the headline news of the week, and um, uh, also different articles uh, which uh, caught our eye during the week and uh, in this segment uh, we will discuss our first topic which is can eliminating extra chromosomes in cancer cells prevent tumor growth so the gist of the story is that uh, cancer cells with extra chromosomes depend on those chromosomes for tumor growth a new study reveals and eliminating them prevent um, the cells from forming tumors. The findings said the research. The findings said the researchers suggest that selectively targeting extra chromosomes may offer a new route for treating cancers. So, um, regarding this article, uh, UC, uh, UCSF researchers have used uh, CRISPR. Um, uh, which is a, um, a tool uh, for gene editing uh, to remove entire chromosomes from cancer cells. So this um, tool, um, which could lead to a new cancer treatment, almost all cancers are aneuploid, meaning that they have extra chromosomes, but it was unclear what role these chromosomes played in the development of the disease. The researchers uh, used CRISPR to remove an apparent third copy of the long portion of chromosome 1 which is found in several types of cancer and is linked to disease progression and occurs early in cancer development. Researchers used uh, CRISPR to remove the extra chromosomes from cancer cells in a lab which caused the cells to die. Uh, they believe the technology could be used uh, to treat patients with cancer and uh, target other chromosomes and develop new treatments for cancer. Uh, but right now we have with us our first guest, um, um, Dr. Sarah McClelland. And... Um, her intro is that Dr. Sarah is a lecturer at the Bart's uh, Cancer Institute, Queen Mary University of London. Her research aims to understand cause of chromosome 
mis-segregation uh, in the context of uh, tumorigenesis and also to characterize uh, fundamental mechanism mechanisms controlling genetic stability. Uh, Dr. Sarah, welcome to the show. Um, peace and blessing will be upon you all and good morning. Good morning. Thanks for the invitation. Uh, th first of all, thanks for taking your time out. Uh, my first question to you would be, uh, research suggests that uh, aneuploidy may lead to cancer. Can you explain to us what causes us to have extra chromosomes? Um, yeah, I can certainly try to tell you what we think so far. So I'll briefly explain actually why most of the cells in our body don't have extra chromosomes, because that's, that's really important to understand. So actually... The process by, you know, we have to grow new cells in our body at you know, millions of times every minute we're, we're growing and dividing the cells in our body. And it's an incredibly complicated process. So we have to copy faithfully um, all of the six billion letters that, that cover our genome, which are packaged into 46 exact, you know, very well maintained copies of our chromosomes. Mm -hmm. And then we have to accurately separate all those new copies into two new cells with, without any mistakes. So that's a really difficult feat, and actually most cells in our body do that perfectly every time with a lot of checkpoints and safeguards in place to make sure that that never goes wrong. Mm -hmm. um, so occasionally something does go wrong, um, just kind of randomly actually in a way, something can go wrong. And actually cells still have um, pathways to, uh, to identify that that's gone wrong, and actually they commit sort of cell suicide known as apoptosis. Um, but something's gone wrong in cancer, so what we don't know here is exactly what has gone wrong. But when we observe cancer cells, we can actually watch them down the microscope, making a lot of mistakes during the processes of replicating their genome or segregating chromosomes. We can actually watch chromosomes failing to move to correct the correct um, new cell stuck in the middle of two new cells for example um, so we see this process going wrong all the time um, but the actual reason why cancer cells make those mistakes is still um, a subject of, of intense research by us and, and many others right right so um, aneuploidy is known to induce uh, genomic instability what does it mean and how does it impact cancer development so once you have the wrong number of chromosomes. Actually, chromosomes, of course, contain all the instructions that we need, uh, that the cells need to perform their functions properly. So actually, if you increase the number of chromosomes, you've actually increased the number of genes. So genes uh, are the instructions for proteins, and proteins are the sort of machines of the cell. They go around doing all the jobs <coughs> of the cell. Actually, if you gain a whole extra chromosome, mm -hmm. you've gained potentially thousands of copies of genes and that means you've got the wrong number of, of proteins, and that goes causing all sorts of problems, actually, including problems with that delicate process I just described mm -hmm. of replicating and, and dividing our new cells. Right. And are there specific types of uh, cancers where aneuploidy is more prevalent? Um, yes, and the easier way to answer that question is actually to say that um, there are specific types of cancers where aneuploidy is, is less prevalent or hardly there because aneuploidy is, is so common across nearly all cancer types, as, as you said before in the introduction. So there are some cancer types, particularly blood cancers, so leukemias and lymphomas, which tend to have less aneuploidy. Um, the reasons for that aren't entirely clear, um, but they can often have no aneuploidy at all. 
um, or just sort of one or two aneuploid changes, whereas whereas most cancer types, especially you know the common ones, breast cancer, ovarian cancer, colon cancer, will have many, many different aneuploid changes, uh, many, many different chromosomes with the wrong number um, generally. Um, and I'm guessing a lot of people would want to know how do you um, envision the transition of your research into clinical practice? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's a really great question. And obviously that's something that, that is our long-term goal. And it's important to say, I think, that you know, every time there's a new finding and a new breakthrough, it's often said, you know, this could be a new cure for cancer. And, and absolutely, we all believe that. But it's not going to be overnight. So, the, you know, for example, we, we anticipate that our research and the research that you've just been describing um, has the potential to, to be translated into research, uh, into clinical practice, I should say, in several ways. Um, so one is obviously in, in dis- discovering new ways to uh, treat cancers. So new drugs would be amazing. Those take a long, long, long time to discover and develop. Um, but there's, So that's one way. But there's actually many other things we need to do to, to improve cancer um, survival rates. So one is actually if we can uh, spot cancers earlier, and that's a real challenge to diagnose a cancer before you know it's too late, um, and one way we think this sort of research can help is that we can start to identify particular aneuploidies and chromosome changes very early on, possibly even in blood markers, for example, that allow us to spot cancer present in somebody's body earlier than we currently can. That would be very helpful. It would improve the ability to detect cancer earlier, which is really important for, for better treatment. And actually, because it's such an interesting um, problem, actually, it's not always the same chromosomes. There's all these patterns of aneuploidy. And those patterns are probably telling us something. Um, Particularly, for example, we believe that the particular patterns of aneuploidy a given person or patient's tumour has Mm -hmm. um, can indicate how that tumour is going to behave when you treat them with a therapy. So patients do respond very differently to therapy sometimes, and we don't always know the reasons for that. Mm-hmm. So there may also be um, a really important use for this research in, in just deciding who gets what treatment, even of the existing treatments we have. And, and those sorts of things will be useful earlier, I'd say. You know, those could be happening in the next few years, right. um, hopefully. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Sarah, thank you so much for taking your time out this morning and speaking to us and sharing uh, your your knowledge and expertise. I'm sure a lot of people would have um, benefited and uh, certainly not the last time. Hope to have you uh, again on the show very soon. Uh, thank you once, once again. You're very welcome. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. That was Dr. Sarah, uh, who's a lecturer at the Bratz Cancer Institute, Queen Mary University of London. And uh, as you know, we were um, discussing on this topic as well. And um, uh, Nafiz, could you tell us that uh, when can this approach, um, uh, as the doctor was also, you know, discussing? So when can this approach be clinically uh, tested? As um, the study says. Yeah, yeah. So the study could be used to develop new cancer treatments that target specific um, chromosomes which could improve the effectiveness of cancer treatment. However, before this approach can be used in clinical trials, further research and testing are needed to ensure its safety and effectiveness. Um, 
the researchers plan to test their approach using animal models to evaluate this, its effectiveness and safety. They also want to test it with other drugs and um, to see if it works for different types of cancers. Uh, researchers plan to work with uh, pharmaceutical companies to advance the approach towards uh, clinical trials. This means they are interested in developing this approach into a treatment for cancer patients. Now, um, looking at the Islamic perspective, which we always do with every single uh, topic and in every single segment, most importantly. Um, yeah, but um, be, be the Islamic perspective, we will talk about this uh, topic. Um, we will touch upon this uh, angle uh, after a short uh, break. Uh, please do uh, tune in and do join us after the short break. Writings of the Promised Messiah, alayhi salam. Allah, the Lord of glory, has also given me the glad tidings that some of the nobility and some of the kings will also join our group. He vouchsafed to me the revelation. I shall grant you blessing upon blessing, so much so that kings will seek blessings from your garments. Those who seek blessings in this manner will enter into the bath, the Pledge of Allegiance. Because of their entering into the bath, their governments will also practically belong to this community. Then I was shown those kings in a vision. They were riding upon horses and were not less than six or seven. I saw in a blessed dream a group of sincere believers and just and righteous kings, some of whom belong to this country, India some to Arabia, some to Iran, some to Syria, some to Turkey, and some to other regions of which I am not aware. Thereafter, I was told by Allah the Almighty, وأدخلهم في المخلصين إني مهين من أراد إهانتك. These people will affirm your righteousness and will believe in you and will call down blessings upon you and will pray for you. I shall bestow great blessings upon you, so much so that kings will seek blessings from your garments, and I will join them amongst your sincere followers. This is the dream that I saw. And this is the revelation that was vouchsafed to me by God, the All-Knowing. Three proofs of the truthfulness of the Prophet Messiah. One, in a hadith of the Holy Prophet of Islam, وسلم, he has said that there will be two signs in the support of the Mahdi that have never occurred before since the creation of the heavens and the earth. These two signs are eclipses that would occur on very specific days during the month of Ramadan. In 1894, a few years after Hazrat Musa Ghulam Muhammad made his claim of being the Prophet Messiah, India and the subcontinent were witnesses to an eclipse that had occurred on the first of the three days of the full moon and in Ramadan. In the following year, in 1895, the USA had witnessed an eclipse that had occurred on the second of the three days of the full moon again in Ramadan. Now we know eclipses aren't something that can be man-made, nor is there any technology on the planet that could create such a spectacle. So this has to be the work of God. This is clear, undeniable evidence 
in support of the truthfulness of the promised Messiah. 2. Performing miracles is commonly associated with prophethood. Jesus is said to have healed the sick, Moses is said to have parted the sea, and Jonah is said to have survived the belly of the whale. On one occasion, during the time of the promised Messiah, there was one student named Abdul Karim who fell severely ill with rabies. Now at that time, there was absolutely no cure nor any medication that could heal Abdul Karim. So the promised Messiah prayed for the recovery of the student and Abdul Karim made a miraculous recovery. Now, without any human intervention, this can only be attributed to the work of God. A second miracle during the time of the promised Messiah is how he had perfected the Arabic language overnight. Now, how long would it take me or you to learn a language? Some years? Even people with degrees find it difficult to call themselves experts in the language. The promised Messiah received a revelation of 40,000 Arabic words overnight, a language that is commonly known to be one of the most complicated languages in the world. This can again only be attributed to the work of God in support of the truthfulness of the promised Messiah. 3. We can see from the history of the prophets that they have always been victorious in their claims and their missions. Similarly, the promised Messiah has been victorious in his claims and his missions. The promised Messiah received a prophecy from God that I shall cause thy message to reach the corners of the earth. Now the promised Messiah received this prophecy in a rural village in India in Gardian, an unknown town to the world. Now we can see that a little over a hundred years later, his message and his claim has reached over 200 countries around the world. This is nearly every country on the planet. Now who can now say that his message has not reached the corners of the earth? These are clear proofs of the truthfulness of the Promised Messiah. أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أشهد أن محمدا listening to the voice of islam radio assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh may peace and blessings of allah be upon you all uh, dear listeners welcome back after the short break and uh, as before the break as we were discussing um, uh, our topic about uh, cancerous cells and also we have with us uh, with our guest um, very esteemed guest uh, who who were uh, who was uh, sharing her insight and enlightening us uh, with uh, her expertise but now um, uh, we will delve into uh, we will delve into this topic through the islamic uh, perspective 
and we know that uh, it's a marked feature of Islam um, of that um, the sublime teachings of the Holy Quran is the fact that it lays down the most you know the comprehensive uh, perfect and suitable uh, directives concerning um, concerning um, each and every topic and um, so regarding this topic we also we will also look through the Islamic lens as well and see what does Islam uh, how does Islam guides us regarding this and um, we find that um, again and again uh, in the Holy Quran and um, through the um, in the Sharia we see that uh, we and we find that this that uh, we are reminded again and again that uh, we should um, uh, seek knowledge and uh, it doesn't uh, depend that whether regardless it is um, 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 worldly knowledge um, it could be on science and um, on religion as well and um, uh, we also uh, we are also taught the the uh, the prayer as well that we should pray to God Almighty that oh Allah um, increase me in my knowledge Rabbi Zidni Ilma so this is a prayer which we are taught in the Holy Quran and we should uh, try to remember this uh, point and in try to increase ourselves in the knowledge as well so Jalis, if you Nafis, uh, if you could, uh, you know, uh, tell us about um, Islamic perspective uh, regarding this n- topic. Yes, absolutely. So as you mentioned, the Holy Quran is a guideline uh, for research, and God is the creator of the universe, and He has revealed that the Holy Quran is for in the entire mankind. So read it and acquire knowledge. Uh, it contains countless of pearls, and it is in fact the source of all knowledge. Uh, in chapter 2 verse 3 it it says that it is the perfect book there is no doubt in it it is a guidance for the righteous the uh, so so from there on to shed further light upon this the second caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community the promised son in his book invitation to Ahmadiyyat writes that science is concerned with nature the handiwork of God the Quran is the word of God there can be no contradiction between the two. Um, in the Holy Quran, in chapter 20, verse 115, it states that uh, Allah then ex- uh, exalted then is Allah, the true king, and be not impatient for the Quran, ere it's revealed, it's com- it, it is completed unto thee, but only say, O my Lord, increase me in knowledge. So, and in a hadith, the Holy Prophet wasallam has said that you should acquire knowledge uh, and increase your knowledge from the moment you are uh, from from your very very childhood up to the moment that you enter your grave so um inc- so increasing knowledge that's the base of uh, or attaining knowledge that's the base of research and with regards to this um cancer it is only once um one uh, tries to research more and gains knowledge that uh, you know we can come up uh, find a cure or a solution and so on and so forth. In chapter 39, verse 10 of the Holy Quran, Allah the Almighty says, Say, are those who know equal to those who know not? 
so this verse clearly highlights the elevated status of education and those who gain knowledge in the eyes of Allah the Almighty. Um, so Islam devotes uh, great uh, emphasis to the importance of um, acquisition of knowledge. In fact, I would personally go on to say that there has not been a single religion in the entire history of mankind that had laid that has laid this much emphasis hmm. on education and uh, att- 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 attaining uh, knowledge. Hmm. The Holy Prophet وسلم, once said, "The word of wisdom is a lost property of a Muslim." So that, so that wherever he finds it, he should take it as he is most entitled to. Now, this saying of the Holy Prophet is from uh, an authentic book, Tirmizi. And again, it shows the emphasis that uh, Islam has laid, that the founder of Islam, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, has laid on acquiring, uh, acquiring knowledge. And knowledge is the source of all um, research, I would say, and uh, solutions in that sense. Um, the Holy Prophet, uh, another occasion, uh, said that um, seek knowledge, though it may be found in a country as far as China. And so we're talking, so just just to understand the what the Holy Prophet وسلم, meant is that we're talking 1400 years ago mm. to travel from Mecca in modern day Saudi Arabia to China in those days uh, with no modes of transport or the modes of transport they, they had in those days was just camels and horses. It would take months. It would take weeks. It would take a long time. It would be one of the hardest things you probably an individual would have done in his whole life. But when it comes to seeking knowledge, that was meaningless. And the Prophet said they should go as far as uh, China to attain knowledge. Uh, at another occasion, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, said, Seeking of knowledge is ob- obligatory on, upon every Muslim man and woman. So here the Holy Prophet has set out a standard that you want to call yourself a Muslim, you want to act like a Muslim, you want to be part, you want to be, you want to fall under the category of a Muslim. You cannot be an ignorant Muslim, you cannot be a backward Muslim. You have to be a Muslim that is seeking knowledge. It doesn't say that you have seeked some knowledge at some stage. You've done as you've got a certain degree, you got masters, you got bachelors, you got PhD, and then you stop. Mm. It says seeking knowledge is obligatory upon every Muslim man and woman. So clearly it says it doesn't matter what degree you have, how much knowledge you already think that you have, you keep on attaining knowledge mm. and so on and so forth. And and also it doesn't say anything that it has to be religious uh, knowledge. It exactly. could be worldly knowledge as well. Exactly, any kind of knowledge. And so modern day science is showing us that um, if you keep on using your mind and uh, accumulating your brain and uh, using it uh, instead of letting it, uh, instead of not using it and just wasting, wasting it, your mind stays sharper and younger and you as a person mm. uh, stay sharper and younger and th- so this is what modern day science and research is telling us these days however the holy prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam taught us this 1400 years ago and um, this is the standard that the prophet set for every single muslim who was there in his time or uh, was to come 
years later and here we are 1400 years later and mm. it is obligatory uh, upon all of us uh, at another occasion the Holy Prophet said that there is no disease that Allah has created except that he has created its treatment so this uh, saying and the previous sayings of seeking knowledge they go hand in hand mm. once you seek knowledge once you do your research only then you can find the treatment and the treatment is there a lot of people say cancer has no treatment and you know it can't be healed Islam has said every single disease that Allah has created uh, has uh, a treatment it's just a matter of time of and effort of seeking knowledge and doing the research that um, one um, can benefit from that hmm. with the recent advancement of um, technology and medicine it has become quite easy to forget that the uh, cures and remedies which humans have been able to discover are only due to the blessings bestowed upon us by God Almighty in fact the Holy Prophet is reported to have said to a physician you are only a, sooth a soother to your patient it is its physician is he who has created him i.e. Allah and also this reminds us that Allah is the healer and his one of his attributes is that he is a healer and it's for it's time for news now Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuhu Welcome back uh, to Breakfast Show on Voice of Islam May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all As you know that before the break we were uh, discussing uh, our topic um, Can eliminating extra chromosomes in cancer cells prevent tumor growth? And also we looked upon this topic through the Islamic uh, lens But now we will uh, delve into our second topic which is can bladder disease be treated by medical micro robots so the gist of the story is that engineers have designed a new class of micro robots several times smaller than the width of a human hair that may be able to treat human illness like interstitial cystitis a painful bladder disease that affects millions of Americans uh, Nafis, could you, um, for the benefit of our listeners, could you give us the um, summary of um, this segment? Um, summarize this study of, um, of uh, can bladder disease be treated by medical micro-robots? Yes, absolutely. So, uh, as you said, a team of uh, engineers at the University of Colorado Boulder have designed a new class of tiny self-propelled robots that can zip through liquid at incredible speeds and may uh, one of day even deliver prescription drugs to hard to research places inside the human body and so what the study has actually um, f uh, found is that um, as researchers describe imagine if micro robots if micro robots could perform certain tasks in the body such as non-invasive surgeries uh, and uh, instead of cutting into patients, we can simply induce robots, uh, the robots into the body through a pill or an injection and they would perform a procedure themselves. Though the research still have, the researchers still have a bit of work to do, this finding is a huge step towards robots. Now, um, 
what doors the study opens, um, as probably most of you are wondering. In laboratory experiments, the researchers fabricated schools of microbots encapsulating high concentrations of this uh, uh They then introduced thousands of those bots into bladders of lab mice. The result was a real-life uh, fantastic voyage. The micro-robots dispersed through the organs before sticking onto the bladder walls, which could, which would likely make them difficult to pee out. Once there, the machines slowly released their uh, uh, the chemicals over the course of about two days. Such a steady flow of medicine could also could allow patients uh, to re- receive more drugs over a longer span of time, improving outcomes of uh, for patients. It is added that uh, the team has a lot of work to do before micro-robots can travel through real human bodies. For a start, the group wants to make the machines fully biodegradable so that they would um, eventually dissolve in the body. If they can make these uh, particles work in the bladder, then they can achieve a more sustained drug release and uh, maybe patients would have to come into the clinic as often. And uh, furthermore, we had the Islamic perspective. Um, we will look into that in a bit. Um, uh, before, you know, um, uh, joining our guest, um, esteemed guest, um, I think we should uh, further proceed with the Islamic perspective and look through the lens of um, Islamic teachings, what Islam tells us uh, about uh, um, regarding <coughs> Uh, treating diseases and uh, uh, what areas does the Islam covers? Because we know that Islam is uh, such a comprehensive religion that it uh, guides us each and every sphere of life, um, how to sit, how to eat, how to drink. And um, certainly because uh, Islam, what Islam is, uh, what religion is, because a religion is the word of God and the science is the act uh, of God. So both go, goes hand to hand. To hand. And um, that's why we need to... Um, there's no difference between science and religion. That's why uh, when we talk about science, uh, we also talk about uh, through the Islamic uh, per- perspective or, or, or the religious angles. And... Uh, if we look upon uh, this angle, we find that there are many teachings regarding um, this as well, this specific top, uh, topic which we are discuss- discussing right now. And uh, we find that God Almighty emphasizes on, on numerous occasions in the Holy Quran that um, humans will be tried and those who endure uh, the suffering with patience and steadfastness will be amply rewarded and um, regarding this uh, in the holy quran chapter 67 verse 3 um, we find that as it is as it is stated over there that who has created death and life that he might try you which of you is best indeed and again in um, addition um, uh, furthermore, in chapter 2, verse 156 of the Holy Quran, it proclaims 
that we will try you with something um, of fear and hunger and loss of wealth and lives and fruits but give glad tidings to the patient and similarly we find on another occasion in the holy quran in chapter 16 verse 71 it states that allah and allah creates you then he causes you to die and there are some among you who are driven to the worst part of life and with the result that they know nothing uh, after having um, after having had knowledge surely Allah is all-knowing uh, powerful and these uh, were the few examples which we find uh, regarding this specific topic uh, which is can bladder disease be treated by medical robots uh, in through the in the in in an angle that uh, um islam tells us that uh, we should seek knowledge and we should try uh, our best uh, to find um the find to find uh, the cures of which allah has created certainly he has created for each uh, disease he has created also the cure as well but it is upon us that um, we seek that knowledge and through that knowledge we explore uh, the opportunities and um, to find the cures which Allah has certainly um, um, uh, created for us so and also there's one more angle that um, if you look through this angle that um, the Muslim community the 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 purpose of the MD Muslim community the the founder of the MD Muslim community he said that I came with two purposes uh, mainly the first is to pay the due rights of God Almighty and the second is to pay the due rights of um, his servants uh, the mankind and if we keep that in mind that we have to serve the human beings we have to serve our fellow beings then you know um, uh, it will become our desire to serve the mankind our fellow beings uh, without um, um, putting ourselves um, before um, and uh, through this angle uh, we will try to explore more opportunities more um, paths uh, through which we can you know uh, find the cures and remedies for our human beings who are suffering or who are in pain uh, who are in any kind of uh, dire situation um, like um, you know there are many other areas and uh, around the world in third world countries uh, very underprivileged countries where people are dying due to malfunction and due to malnutrition and uh, such um, <clears throat> such people they need our help uh, like us people who are in such a situation uh, where we are finding uh, their food and uh, other stuff like this uh, uh, without any any uh, any hesitation uh, without any worry so <clears throat> we should you know be careful for such people and because uh, because of malnutrition they are getting uh, diseases uh, they are getting affected by malnutrition 
And as we are discussing our topic, the Akanka bladder disease be treated by medical micro-robots. So certainly such people, due to malnutrition, are having such diseases uh, uh, which are causing to their uh, death. And um, <coughs> certainly it's a very, um, um, you know, uh, good step, uh, I would say. And uh, we are more hopeful that we find um, and we progress in this field more and more and we do you know try to um, um, we should you know encourage such people and I, I, I personally say that um, one person I, I think this is uh, the view of every uh, should be each and every individual that um, that uh, if there's somebody who's you know try to advance in this field we should try to encourage such people mm -hmm. and with such mindset that uh, you know uh, we should always look at the advantages of um, these uh, steps uh, not to cause any harm to other human beings because sometimes people uh, try to deviate from the path and uh, try to try to harm other people uh, mm -hmm. through through these steps so we should also always encourage um, such people such uh, companies uh, which you know try to uh, take these measures and these steps mm -hmm. uh, but uh, now we'll t uh, take a short break and uh, after the short break we will um, you know proceed uh, more with uh, our segment uh, please do join us um, uh, after the break and yeah just one more thing I would like to encourage our listeners to um, contact us they can contact us via our phone number which is 020-8687-7878 and you can also uh, tweet us by uh, our Twitter handle which is Voice of Islam UK or you can go to our website which is www.voiceofislam.co.uk um, after uh, we'll see you after a short break writings of the promised messiah salam. the real purpose of all the external and internal limbs and faculties that has been bestowed on man is understanding and worship and love of God. That is why, despite a thousand occupations, man does not find his true well-being except in God Almighty. Having acquired great wealth, or achieved high office, or having become a great merchant, or having acquired governing authority, or become a great philosopher, he departs in the end from these worldly involvements with a sense of frustration. His heart rebukes him all the time about his deep concern with the world, and his conscience never approves his wiles and deceits and wrongful actions. When he takes stock of man's faculties and powers to discover his highest capacity, we find that he is invested with the faculty of seeking after God so much that he desires that he should become so devoted to God's love that he should have nothing of his own and that everything should become God's. He shares his natural needs like food and drink and rest. Oh. 
Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. A very warm welcome back to all of our listeners at the breakfast show on the Voice of Islam. Just before we left off, we were discussing whether um, diseases can be um, treated with micro-robots, and uh, especially uh, bladder diseases. And I am very pleased to inform that right now we are very fortunate to have an expert with us uh, who will be sharing some insight and giving us some more information about this. Uh, Brother Asad Ali, uh, assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you, and a very warm welcome to you to The Breakfast Show. Welcome, salam. Thanks for having us. Asad Ali is an NHS consultant uh, urological surgeon working in Yorkshire and also medical director at a medtech company called uh, Convatech. He is dual trained as a surgeon, and a scientist, a PhD in immunology. He has acted as a principal investigator in multiple national and international research projects with awards for his research from the European Association of Rheology. He has served as a health technology assessment reviewer for the UK NIHR and as a member of the NICE Medical Technologies Advisory Committee. He is pre- um, president of Yorkshire U- U- Eurostomy Association, an uh, elected executive committee member of the section of female neurological and uh, urodynamic urology in the British Association of Urological Sur- Surgeons, BAUS, and a medical advisor for the Bladder Health UK charity. So, um, Brother Asad Ali, um, my first question to you is, can medical micro-robots treat bladder disease in the future? And if so, how? Uh, thanks, uh, thanks, brother. Um, yeah, I mean, this is a really interesting uh, development. I mean, I think the first thing to say, this is kind of very much in its infancy at the moment. This is, uh, you know, at a, an experimental stage. So the experiments they've done with these micro-bots, they were done um, on mice, 
I think we're some way away from doing this on, in, in human beings. But they, they, the proof of concept is there, and they've designed these little uh, micro-bots that can be put into the, uh, into the bladder and atta- attach themselves to the bladder wall uh, and essentially deliver, deliver a drug to help with um, uh, treatment of, of bladder conditions. So uh, I, I think, uh, yeah, it certainly looks like quite an exciting development, but it is, I have to say, quite an early stage. Right. And uh, what are the challenges with micro-robots? I think the challenges is obviously the, at the moment this is all at uh, you know at an early stage sort of they're just doing animal exper- experiments at the moment. I think development will need to see how how well this can work with humans with any kind of um, device that you're deploying into the body. One of the big things you're going to have to work out is is you know how you know how safe is it? Does it you know once you put it in there, you know w- what happens once it's done its job? So let's say it's it's, it's trying to deliver a drug. That's great. It's delivered the drug. Uh, but then after that, what happens to it, you know, um, once, once you're done with? Also, is it, is it delivering the drug in the correct way? Um, what, what, what drugs can you use to use that in using that methodology? So there are all of these sort of challenges. And, and when you're doing things in an animal, often things are a lot easier because it's in a much smaller area. When you're dealing with uh, a human being, you've got a much bigger area to deal with. Uh, you're probably going to need a lot more of those robots. So, so there's all of those sort of aspects. And then, of course, there's always the, the, the expense. How, how expensive will producing those things be? Is it going to be economically viable to make, make these sort of devices in a way that you can, uh, you know, it's feasible for a health service to fund? Right. And just, I think, furthermore, with regards to that, what are some advantages and disadvantages to using micro-robots in healthcare? Yeah, well, I, I think I mean, I mean, the potential of these sort, this sort of technology is huge because uh, at the moment, a lot, a lot of the, um, the way you deliver drugs into a bladder is usually using a catheter. It's a little bit hit and miss; has to be done quite regularly, and doesn't always even penetrate into the into the bladder. In addition, other types of things that one needs to do to the bladder, you, you would you'd have to use surgery. So you you, you know you talk about making cuts. Even if they're very small cuts, nowadays we do a lot of things through robotic surgery. But still, you're, you're talking about cuts, having to remove things, and so on. Potentially, this allows uh, you know, application on a much sort of smaller, compact scale, without any kind of incisions, um, much more control. So I think that's, that, that could be a huge advantage. I think the disadvantages, I think, as I mentioned before, is going to be what's the cost going to be, how, how safe is it, can you, uh, can you remove those devices safely, does it, does it actually work you know, in, in human beings, because you've got a much larger, large scale, how applicable will it be for different types of treatment, because we've got so many different things, that, so, so many different conditions and different ways in which we wish to treat them, will, will, would this technology be applicable for some of them or all of them? So these are, I think, the things that would need to all be worked out. Right, right. And um, I'm guessing, lastly, a lot of people who are, who are listening right now, they're probably wondering if um, medical, uh, using medical micro-robots has any risks um, of, of uh, making use of them. Yeah, well, I, I think whenever you're using a new medical device, there's, there's always a lot of consideration about risks. The first thing is, is how is the body going to react to, to this sort of technology. Remember, at the end of the day, it's a foreign body. Our body's designed to attack 
things that are not not itself. So that's going to be a question. That's going to be a question. Big question: you know, the materials that it's made out of. Will, uh, will they have any effects? So, you know, how we talk about so there's a concept called biocompatibility, uh, and that would have to be explored. Um, and, and you know, in, 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 are there any sort of long-term effects? Does the, is the treatment sort of durable, or is it something you have to keep doing over and over again? Um, can I mean, I think with anything that's anything that's like a robot that's controllable, I guess another concern would be can someone else. Uh, mm-hmm. control or use it for more harmful purposes. I'll be honest, in this sort of technology, the way that it's controlled, that, that's pretty close to impossible. But still, these are the sort of factors that whenever you, you, you're looking at a new technology, you've got to think there's always, there's always safety. Um, and obviously, this would be this is a, a, a completely new area. We don't have anything like this at the moment. Um, that you can say that you've got, you know, you've got past history to look at. This would be sort of a, a new frontier, as it were. Uh, Brother Asad Ali, thank you so much for joining us today on The Breakfast Show and, uh, you know, taking your time out. I'm sure a lot of people would have benefited from uh, the knowledge that you have shared and your expertise. And hopefully, and certainly not the last time, hopefully to have you, um, hoping to have you again soon on the show. Thank you once again. Pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. That was uh, Asad Ali, who is a NHS consultant, urological surgeon working in Yorkshire, and he's also a medical director at a medtech company called Convertech. Um, thank you very much, uh, Brother Nafis. And uh, with this, we will end our second segment, and uh, we'll take a short break, and after the break, we'll delve into our last topic, uh, which will be about the significance of Jalsa Salana. Dear listeners, please do join us after this short break. Writings of the Promised Messiah, alayhi Remember that no one will descend from heaven. All our opponents who are alive today will die, and no one will see Jesus, son of Mary, descending from heaven. Then their next generation will pass away, and no one of them will see this spectacle. Then the generation next after that, will pass away without seeing the Son of Mary descending from heaven. Then God will make them anxious that though the time of the supremacy of the cross had passed away and the world had undergone great changes, yet the Son of Mary had not descended from heaven. Then wise people will suddenly discard this belief. The third century after today will not yet have come to a close when those who hold this belief whether Muslims or Christians, will lose all hope and will give up this belief in disgust. There will then be only one religion that will prevail in the world and only one leader. I have come only to sow the seed which has been sown by my hand. Now it will sprout and grow and flourish and no one can arrest its growth. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. 
broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Um, dear listeners, welcome back to the live edition of Breakfast Show. And uh, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. And um, now we'll delve into our last segment, which is about the significance of the Jalsa Salana. And what is Jalsa Salana? Um, Jalsa Salana is an annual gathering of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, uh, initiated by Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad, founder of the community. Usually the gathering spans over three days, uh, beginning on Friday with the Friday sermon. And just um, for our listeners, uh, I will give a brief, uh, very short and precise, rather I would say, uh, give you a background of and the history of Jalsa Salana. So the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, uh, under the leadership of its holy founder, Mirza Ghulam Ahmad uh, Qadiani, um, he, um, with his uh, followers, held its first convention a gathering on December 27, 1891 in Qadian, India. So Qadian is a small, uh, very small town and uh, where this gathering, the first gathering was held. And the and the people who attended uh, at that time were approximately 75 people who, you know, attended the event. And for over a century since then, the community has held its first uh, its annual convention or Jalsa Snana in numerous countries around the world, and um, tens of thousands of communities uh, community members uh, gather at these conventions at various times throughout this year. The principal aims of the annual annual convention are to facilitate greater spiritual awareness among. Um, community members strengthen uh, ties and promote peace and uh, as we are here in the UK and sort of guarding the UK um, uh, just in a few days away um, we are going to hold uh, 57th UK Jalsa Salana so it will be the much larger gathering this year um, after the COVID, um, uh, after the COVID span of like three or four years, uh, this is going to be a, one of the biggest uh, gathering in the UK, uh, a Muslim gathering. And um, normally it uh, starts uh, with the Friday sermon. Then after the Friday sermon, uh, it starts uh, with the host um, flag hosting ceremony, uh, which uh, His Holiness Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmad, may peace and blessings Allah be upon him, he will uh, do the flag hosting ceremony. And uh, as I have said before, that it um, the Jalsa Salana spans over three days, uh, beginning on Friday, this coming Friday, which is 28th of uh, July. So 28, 29, and 30th of July. These are the three days uh, upon or when the Jalsa Salana will be held. And um, um, certainly um, there will be m- much greater uh, gathering than the last year uh, and the expected uh, guests are around 
more than um, 30,000 people at least and uh, we are we are expecting uh, to be above uh, 40,000 people this year and um, um, with us right now uh, our we have our guest with us you know who will enlighten us uh, our, us on this topic and share his experience regarding uh, Jalsa Salana. So we have with us Arsalan Ahmed, um, and uh, he is a volunteer of Jalsa Salana Wakfi Azi team. Uh, Wakfi Azi team means a short-term dedication team, and he has uh, volunteered himself over there. And let's uh, listen to him what he says and what is what are his experiencing regarding the Jalsa Salana. Uh, Arslan, uh, welcome to the show. Assalamu alaikum. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you and good morning. Very good morning. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah. Peace and blessing upon all of you. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to come across. Yeah, thank you very much to be on the show and it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Can you tell us a bit about yourself? Uh, where do you reside and what brings you to Jalsa? Well, I reside in London. Southwest London, very oh. close to Southfields, um, and uh, it has been about twelve years that I'm residing in London, mm-hmm. and it's been about last six years that I've been coming to volunteer myself to Joseph Salana mm-hmm. before Joseph Salana happens, was to dedicate myself six to seven days at least, mm-hmm. and the, the, why, why, what brings me here? Um, the first experience that I had in 2017, mm. one of my friend, a uh, local coordinator, the youth coordinator, he brought me to the Jalsa Salana. He said, "Let's let's go there. We're going to spend six days, seven days, mm. and uh, see what you experience." Mm. And I tell you that that was my life-changing experience for me because when I came here and I saw everything happening, like hundreds of volunteers come in and spending their days and weeks to make sure the Jalsa happened successfully. Mm. That was eye-opening for me. And all the volunteers working together, praying together, eating mm. together, for working for the same objective, that was just remarkable. And ever since, it's just, it's kind of like a great experience for me and great feeling, and that I've been to Jalsa every year to volunteer myself. Mm-hmm. And certainly we get a chance to you know see and meet our brothers and you know we get a chance to you know strengthen our relationship the bond of brotherhood and uh, yes. also you know get a chance to you know uh, forget uh, the resentment or any you know uh, events of displeasure and uh, so that's why you know we get that chance and we should uh, benefit from it and uh, try to forgive each other and try to seek a life of uh, uh, humility as well so you know, it's a lot of going on uh, during these three days uh, the span of three days uh, I would say and uh, mm-hmm. yeah yeah absolutely you're right and uh, Aslan what duty uh, will you be doing at Jalsa Aslan this year this year I will be taking care security aspect I'm a part of the team that taking care of uh, security of the main Jalsaga main marquee where mm-hmm. for the men's side, where we'll be checking the security cards, checking the bags, 
um, and making sure that there's not suspicious activity happening across the across the main marquee. But we, we, on the side, but not only security, that we need to make sure that we, we do provide a great experience to the guests of Shilsa Salana as well, because mm. that's the main that's the main objective we don't want to forget. Because the guests are travelling across the world, mm. and uh, with the right with the right attitude, keeping a smile on the face, mm. and uh, having the right measures in place to make sure the Jilsa happens successfully mm. and uh, securely. Mm, yeah, certainly, and I believe that it's going to be a you know very tough duty because um, in regards to security, you have to you know handle uh, thousands of people uh, over the span of three uh, three days, and um, yeah, yeah, certainly, and also as you have mentioned uh, about you know keeping smile on your faces, uh, that's a very you know key point, uh, uh, very important thing as you know. I I remember that the, during the last sermon of uh, our His Holiness Hazrat Mirza Musa Ahmad, he also has mentioned that uh, we need to um, uh, you know uh, keep uh, smiles on our face. Uh, you know there could be uh, events of displeasure where we might feel that the other person is wrong and isn't behaving you know uh, mm-hmm. quite good. But still, we have to uh, ourselves keep smiles on our faces. Uh, that's the key point of the whole thing. That's how you know uh, we can strengthen our uh, bond of brotherhood. Absolutely, and I mean, His Holiness is instructed to all the departments that mm. they're working among around the Jalsa that you want to make sure that you keeping smile and not making any guest unhappy, regardless what kind of attitude the guest showing you, you need to calm, keep yourself calm mm. and humble and making sure that you serve the guests in the right attitude. Mm, yeah, certainly, certainly. And uh, as long no matter, you know, the conditions or the task at hand, uh, volunteers of Chelsea Salana have a unique spirit and passion, I believe that, with which they, they work. As you have mentioned yourself, your experience. So from your perspective, where does this passion and dedication come from? You has you have mentioned this dedication, but where does this come from? Well, I have seen people serving, and I have experienced. Well, well, I just taken this um, influence from other brothers. Hmm. When you come in and good influence, you take that positive influence to you as well. But I have, on the other side, I have personally experienced lots of great blessings serving. Jamaat serving Dulce Salana, mm. and I think I did share last year on the same show that every Rakhiyazi or six year or seven year dedica- seven sorry seven days dedication I do to towards Dulce Salana, mm. end of it I do feel, I do experience some great rewards by Allah Almighty. Mm. Um, it could be anything. It could be worldly reward or it could be something something changes in my life and mm. lots of blessing that I experience and that really pushed me towards to, uh, to, to, to push myself and dedicate every year again and again. And that brings a lot of ded- dedication and um, devotion as well. Yeah, also I believe that, you know, um, this unique spirit and passion or dedication, I have seen that regardless of, um, it doesn't matter from which field the person is who is volunteering, uh, it yep. could be from the field of engineers, uh, doctors, from any field yes. of, uh, of any department. 
you know, yes. they passionately, uh, passionately come and uh, try to, you know, give all what they have and yes. uh, dedicate for these certain days um, um, with um, wholeheartedly. Uh, that's the, you know, yeah. That's the best thing which you which we have to uh, experience, which we experience. You're right. Yeah. You're right. Absolutely. I mean, I I I am. I have been working last six or six seven days mm. with electrical department where the the man that who's taking care of it, the electrical engineer that who's taking care of the whole electric um, electric uh, side of it, mm. and a couple of CEOs that I know that are on the site, they're mm. making sure they're working in the mud to making sure the structure of the site is absolutely fine health and safety side of fine food inspections fine so yeah i mean you're right there's various different uh, professionals mm. that come and they without thinking like where they belongs to in the past in their life they mm. come here and work together and certainly they, uh, they don't feel you know any uh, uh, they doesn't shy away from even working in the toilets as well if, even they have to clean those toilets uh yep. doesn't shy away from this thing as well absolutely hygiene duties yes you you're referring to hygiene duties yep. the hygiene duties are the most toughest one here yeah and washing the pots because we have thousands of big pots where we cook for food for about 40,000 to 50,000 people and washing them in go in one day and making sure that prepare for the next day is another intense duty and i've seen the youth mm. from age of 18 to 25 mm. they is so dedicated about it and they're just doing it and marslan um, lastly what message would you um, give to other youth uh, to encourage them to sign up for the uh, the short term dedication or the work hours at next year's jalsa i i can only say that this this the maximum that that promised messiah came to to the world and his message was to to my purpose to come into this world to serve humanity mm. um and the creation and this is his faith and his inspiration and that's where I take this message on board mm. and will tell when I tell all my youth that this message we we are, we are the part of that community we are part of the jamaat mm. of the promised messiah sallam and we have to take this message on board and everyone should come forward mm. and do this together to com- accomplish the objective of uh, promised messiah Yeah, certainly as the you know the promise musa himself has said that i came with two missions uh, mainly yeah. and the first one is to pay the due rights of god almighty and the second one yeah. is to pay the due rights of uh, his um uh, creation uh, his uh, our fellow 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 beings yeah and Absolutely. certainly it is our duty to you know you know uh, take that mission and to fulfill mm-hmm. this uh, that purpose as well um Absolutely. Arslan, uh, thank you very much for being on the show. It's a pleasure to have you on the show, and uh, we are looking forward. You. Yeah, thank you very much. Assalamualaikum warahmatullah. Assalamualaikum. Peace and blessings. Yeah, peace and blessings. Allah be upon you. Thank you very much. So that was Arslan Ahmed, a volunteer of Jalsa Slana, uh, short-term dedication team, and uh, a very you know pleasure uh, talking to him. Um, with this we will uh, we are you know moving towards the end of the show um, just few minutes left and uh, um, i'll try to um, uh, convey or try to relate some other uh, things which happened uh, during the whole um, jalsa slana event 
And um, as I was mentioning before that um, this uh, whole uh, ceremony or the whole gathering starts with the Friday sermon and after the, that it um, the flag hosting ceremony happens. And um, but uh, I need to mention that uh, the whole purpose of this uh, Jalsa Slana as the promised Messiah himself has mentioned in his own words um, which is that he, he himself said that it has no worldly purpose rather its purpose is to increase religious conditions to uh, to improve our understanding of Allah and certainly this is the main uh, thing which we need to look upon and uh, try to inculcate uh, the understanding of um, this purpose that's the only way we which through which after understanding this which we can you know um uh increase uh, in our taqwa in our righteousness in our understanding of god almighty and that's the only way we we can you know benefit from the days of jalsa sanana and so we can expand our and improve uh, the uh, knowledge of uh, god almighty and our or, or the islam so we need to, you know, um, uh, try to uh, use every opportunity, every chance, um, to and try to inculcate the teachings, the understanding of Islam in us. And uh, you know, um, uh, regarding the virtues of um, always smiling. Um, just want to touch upon this uh, angle as well as His Holiness um, Hazrat Mizza Masroor Ahmad uh, he you know mentioned in the last uh, Friday sermon uh, addressing the workers or uh, volunteers of the Jalsa Sanana uh, he said that the Holy Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him instructed that one who believes in God and his messengers should honor their guests. During the days of Jalsa, people from all over the world and with different temperaments come to attend. Sometimes it becomes difficult to disconcern, uh, difficult to discern how to care for them according to their temperaments. Sometimes certain guests say something which the workers do not like. However, we have been instructed by God to honor guests no matter the circumstances. In fact, this is one of the ways in which a person's faith is tested. Hence, all the duty hence all the duty holders should bear that in mind and exhibit the best morals and always keep on smiling. Uh, His Holiness further said that the standards of good morals expected of us and um, uh, expected of us as and as has been explained by the holy prophet of islam um, may peace and blessings of allah be upon him who said that smiling is a charity to enjoin good and forbid evil is a charity to guide someone who is lost or blind is a charity to remove hindrances from the path is a charity. To take something of yours and give it to your brother is a charity. These are the standards uh, which 
each and every md muslim must try to achieve so these are the you know beautiful teachings of islam as you know as i have said before that no matter through what angle and aspect we look upon uh, any topic we find very beautiful teachings of islam uh, regarding each and every very uh, every sphere uh, very comprehensive very beautiful and um, uh, you know uh, uh, a person tries to you know achieve those goals when we have such uh, beautiful teachings <clears throat> furthermore um, i would like to say that um, the, uh, the there's uh, the promised messiah what he has said regarding this um, uh, beautiful and uh, beautiful gathering which is going to be held in few days he said uh, the key purpose of this convention is to enable every sincere individual to personally experience religious benefit, to broaden, uh, to broaden their uh, knowledge and to deepen their understanding of Allah Almighty by the grace and opportunity given by Him. He further quotes, uh, he further writes, This is one of the needs of this convention that strategies of for the spiritual well-being of Europe and America should be put forward for this is now a proven fact that good-natured and sincere people from Europe and America are preparing to enter the fold of Islam so this was a part of the announcement which he made in 1892 uh, I hope and believe and um, pray that may each and every everyone who is attending Jalsa uh, may we reap the blessings uh, of Jalsa Salana. Um, with these final words, we are reaching towards the end of uh, today's breakfast show. And I would, like, I would like to thank to all our listeners for tuning in and uh, our experts for taking time out to discuss the topics as well. And um, also, I would uh, like to acknowledge the... Um, help of our production team, uh, tech team, guests and listeners and finally uh, my co-host um, um, Kamar and our producer Dani Nasir.